Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? Um, I'm here with my guest, Jennifer. Jennifer, if you would go ahead and introduce yourself. Absolutely. So yes, my name is Jennifer. I am 41 years old. I have been out of my toxic, abusive marriage for almost two years. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, we uh, share a child together. So I'm not completely out um, and out from under his control. We uh, met in 2003. So I was 22 at the time, very young. He was 29, about to turn 30. Um, So he was definitely older than I was. Um, And we met, um, (laughs) I was, I had just started college and was working as a cocktail waitress at a comedy club. Mm -hmm. And it was actually kind of funny. I worked with his brother and I don't know, there was just something about this guy that I couldn't stand him and he couldn't stand me. Uh, like our spirits rubbed each other wrong or something. I don't know. And um, so this was his brother. And when he came in to see his brother one night, his brother introduced him to me. And I thought, that's so weird. Why would you introduce me to like, that's something you do when you like somebody like, oh, they're cool. You should meet them. Mm-hmm. I realized now he realized his brother was a horrible human being and he hated me so much. He wanted to hook me up with his brother out of spite. Oh. Um, oh. So, yeah, I met him at a, when I was a cocktail waitress. Wow. And you said that you've been out for two years now. Almost two years. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. So you met him um, at this place that you were working and you feel like it was like malintentioned that you were introduced through this, this guy who you did not get along with. Very much so. And it was so funny because I didn't even realize like he introduced me, you know, Hey, this is my brother. Okay. Whatever. Um, but, a, a bunch of my coworkers were going out, um, for drinks afterwards. Cause our comedy club shut down around one or two in the morning, you know, and most bars are open till three and a bunch of them were going out drinking afterwards and they never invited me to go. And I, I've never been much of a drinker, so it wasn't really a thing, but he invited the brother invited me to go out with them drinking afterwards. And I didn't realize I'm so naive. I didn't even realize he was trying to set me up with his brother. I was just flattered that this guy wanted me to go hang out with them that night. I thought, wow, what changed? Well, I realized no, nothing changed. <laughs> he hated me. He was trying to set me up with his psychopath of a brother. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so crazy. Like looking back. Probably it is. And you don't, you don't see so many, so many of the things you don't realize till later. Yeah. Yeah. So you got invited out that night and then how did things um, like digress? So, yeah, they all went to um, this bar across the street. It is a giant place. Um, And, you know, he grabbed my hand and led me, you know, to this upstairs area and just was very confident, you know, and as a woman um, that that's attractive when a man is confident, it makes you think he, he must be a great guy because he's, he's confident in himself. So there must be something there. And so I was very impressed. He just grabbed my hand and took me upstairs and we hung out for a minute. And again, I'm not a drinker. I really don't hang out at bars. Um, 
I just got off work at the time. Um, I was, I had been married before I got married to my high school sweetheart, um, when I was 18 and it, it just didn't work out. And so I had a three-year-old little boy, you know, at home and I, I, I don't normally go out. So it was flattering. They invited me. This guy was very, um, charming. We talked for a couple minutes and I said, you know, I really just need to go home. So he asked for my phone number. Um, so we talked on the phone a couple times after that, and he was just very sweet. Um, he was not an attractive man at all, but was very sweet. And like I said, very confident. And so I invited him over to hang out at my apartment one night and I'll, I don't have a great memory, but you know, there are some things you look back in your life and you can remember clear as day. And mm-hmm. That first night he came to my apartment um, is one day that that I'll never forget. We sat at my kitchen table and we just talked and talked and talked. And it seemed as though we had everything in common, like every single thing that I said about myself as I was trying to introduce myself to him and, and share about myself, everything I said, he said, me too. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like we have so much in common, everything in common, right? And mm-hmm. Um, at the time I had just started college. And so I was telling him I was in college and he said, me too. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, this to me, um, an educated, intelligent man, you know, someone going to college, that's very disciplined. I thought that's very attractive to me. So he's telling me he's in college and he said he was a double major in psychology and political science. And I thought, good Lord, a double major, like, wow, that's impressive. And So I remember asking him how much longer he had before he finished with his bachelor's degree. And his response was a year at the most. And I thought, wow, he's almost done with school. And I just got started. So again, I'm I'm very impressed. He was saying all the right things. Mm -hmm. I found out later um, that he was not a double major in college. He was not a year away from a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. He had dropped out of multiple colleges by this time, had nothing to show for it. He college hopped to get you know, little bits of financial aid, whatever grants he could get to have cash in his pocket and to meet women. But um, by the time we were divorced, he had dropped out of five different colleges and never even had an associate's degree from it. So everything he said was just to um, mirror what I was saying. So I thought I was meeting my soulmate because he, he had all the same qualities I had, or so he told me. So essentially, it was like you got conned, really. Like, that's what it sounds like. I mean, he sounds like he conned like you and sounds like he conned others as well. It was, yeah, it was a total con. Um, That first night, too, he expressed some vulnerability or seemingly vulnerability and shared that um, he had a criminal record and, you know, explained it was just a misunderstanding and, you know, told me this whole sob story, how he was truly the victim. and. You know, of course, I believed him because if you if you're a bad guy, you don't go around telling people, hey, I have a, a, a criminal record because like, you know, people don't regularly do background checks on people. So I would never have known. So he's sharing this openly. So, of course, I believe his victim story and I I believe that it was just a misunderstanding and whatever. And unfortunately, later after we were married, I found out um, the story was not what he told me. He It was not a misunderstanding. Um, the victim was actually much younger than he had admitted to me. Mm-hmm. And the, the charge that he had um, included the words force and coercion, um, mm-hmm. which is terrifying to think about. Um, 
And yeah, uh, he had definitely conned others before. I was, as far as I know, I was fiance number four and I was wife number two. So, and that's just of the women that, that I know about. Hmm. Was the, um, you said the charges that were pressed against him. So was it an underage girl? It was a, an underage girl. Yes. Wow. I was very confused because, you know, I'm not a saint by any means, but I'm an honest person, I guess, just because to me, um, again, not, not for any, you know, uh, value, I really necessarily just, it just seems easier to be honest. Like I don't, I don't see the point in lying personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, I just, it's just not my nature. So as I would uncover some of these things that he had misled me about very intentionally misled me about, I, I wasn't most of the time I wasn't terrified. I was very confused. And so I tried to understand it from my own perspective. Um, another thing he had lied about that maybe I can better explain it. Um, that first night, again, at my kitchen table, we're talking, we're sharing about our lives. I'm recently divorced. I have a three-year-old son. So I asked him, have you ever been married? Have you ever had children? And he said, no, I've never been married. Um, I've never had children. And again, he's almost 30 at this time. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe you've never been married at this point. Like I've already done it once. And he Mm -hmm. said, you know, I'm, I've really been waiting. I've been waiting for Miss Wright. And just the way he said it and the conversation that night, it made me think, made me feel special because it made, he made it seem like he thought maybe he'd found Miss Wright finally. And he'd been waiting all these years and maybe I was the one. And I just felt very special. Um, I later, after he had moved in with me and um, moved in with me and my son, I found photos of him with two small children. And I questioned him about these children and he denied that they were his kids. He had a whole elaborate story about how he had these photographs taken with these kids, but they weren't his kids. They were someone else's kids. And it was this whole big story and it was a misunderstanding. And that night was terrifying because I saw a glimpse of what, what really was there, a man who would lie about having been married and having children. And I was, I was terrified that night, but he, he explained it all away. And again, I, my thought press isn't about lying and being deceptive. So I, I wanted to believe his bizarre out outside the box story. I wanted to believe that there was really an explanation for this. Um, I later found a pay stub that had child support taken out of it. And when I questioned him about that, he had an explanation for that. Oh, it's a misunderstanding. Everything was a misunderstanding. He was a victim of God knows how many bizarre scenarios. And I just, I I feel like an idiot now looking back, like those were pretty obvious things, Jennifer, but I just couldn't process why someone would lie about something like that. And so after we were married and I did find out he had been married and there were children that he signed his rights away to, and, um, Mm -hmm. all these things, I found out all kinds of things. He told me where he'd graduated from high school. Well, he never graduated from high school. He had a GED, like just, he lied about things that would, none of those things would have bothered me, the criminal stuff, but like I had been married and, and had a kid. So him telling me he'd been married and had two kids wouldn't have bothered me. So the way my brain processed it was he must be just really insecure and really ashamed. And so he feels he needs to lie to 
you know, so he, he doesn't have to feel the shame and he doesn't have to, you know, share mistakes he's made in his past. Cause I feel some shame. Um, well now I've been divorced twice. I feel some shame about that. Like, what does that say about me? So that's how I internalized it. And so I kind of made it my life mission to show this man <laughs> unconditional love so that he could know that he could trust me with the truth mm-hmm. when the reality was he liked lying. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think um, sometimes, like, especially when it comes to like a friendship or family as well, but I think when we care about people, I think in the moment, like, we want to believe the best in the people that we love. And we hope that, right, they are honest, truthful people. Because I think deep down, a lot of us um, would like to believe that people mean well. And so, I think like believing the best in somebody in somebody is like uh, a really beautiful like quality, but I think it's it's always frustrating when I hear like stories um, and like even listening to yours because I think when you experience such real um, deception, that can really like interject in this trait that you may have had in the past. I don't know what it's like now. I'm curious because believing the best in somebody who then you find out pathologically is a liar, um, clouds us from being able to believe the best in others. And so I'm curious. Um, I know that that's kind of a question that's not in the outline. Um, and you can continue on with your story, but I just wanted to know how does that affect you now having learned the things that he's lied about and having believed chosen to believe the best in him in those moments, how does that affect you now that you're out? Do you struggle with trusting other people or do you kind of like question your judgment? I definitely struggle with trusting people. Um, you know, maybe we'll get to the part where I share about, um, the woman he's with now and, and I, her story is her story, but he's with a woman now. And I don't know how much she does or doesn't know, but I know he's gotten better at lying over the years. Um, and I know he's made it very, a deliberate attempt to make sure she never meets me and never has an opportunity to talk to me even for five seconds. So I think about her a lot and think about how she probably thinks she's met her Prince Charming. Like I thought I did. Mm. And how, as he's continuing this abuse on me and on our son, um, we have a child together who's 13. And I just think she thinks he's dad of the year. She, I'm sure he's told her that I'm the evil devil. He tells people that I abused him because um, I swatted at him a few times when he would provoke me. So that's his story now is that I beat him. Mm. And I just, I think about how she's living this life where she's, she's with a con artist. She's with a man who is literally wearing a mask. Um, and, and she has no idea the kind of person he is behind closed doors. She has no idea the things that he's doing to me. And, and, and it's not about her. I mean, that's, that's her story and that's her life. And, and she doesn't need to know what he's doing to me. That's, that's not my point, but my point is she ha- is living in the dark and mm-hmm. I used to be her. And so to answer your question, I live with this fear now to that. I, I don't ever want to be that woman again. I don't want to be her. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be the Jennifer that spent 17 years with someone who, who was a totally different person 
in different situations. And Mm -hmm. so part of me would love to date and maybe meet another man someday. And I'm sure there are many wonderful men out there, maybe. Um, But I, how do you know? How do you know what's in someone's head? What, how do you know what they're doing behind closed doors? How, how do you know? And, and I don't know how I'll ever get to a place where I can trust that someone's not lying to me. I mean, do I, do I read all their text messages? Do I read all their emails? Do I call their ex-wives and interview them? Do I, how, how do you know? And that's, um, it terrifies me. Yeah. And, and, and the things that my children have experienced, I don't ever want to put my children in a scenario where I have brought someone into our family that hurts them in any way. Um, my older son, he's, um, he's now 22 and he's happily married and he's turned out great. He's got a chip on his shoulder from a lot that he's witnessed and experienced himself, but he's like, don't ever let a man in this house. Like <laughs> He's, mm. he's scared for me too, because he yeah. witnessed it. Yeah. I think um, I can really resonate with what you're saying. And I, I know that a lot of others who are, um, who have experienced abuse can resonate. Um, I think dating after an abusive relationship is probably the scariest thing other than facing the trauma and healing it. And something that I've learned and I'm still learning is that you won't know. And I think that is probably the hardest part about choosing to date again is realizing that you aren't going to know. Um, that's something that I asked my therapist, uh, I was like in her office, um, a while back and I was like, I just don't know how, you know, like, how do you know if somebody's safe? Like, how do you know people just have like all this like secret junk sometimes and like how everybody has things. And so it's like, how do you know, like if someone's telling the truth or hiding something or, you know, and, um, I think when you experience like really, um, really like any type of deception, Um, but especially in an extreme case like yours, um, I think it's like, it puts this constant alert on you to be like alert whenever, um, something happens because you've, you had to like, kind of be in this like fight or flight for a long time and something that I've learned over time. And I think for those listening or for you, um, is that the answer is like, you're never going to be able to fully know. Um, but you learn how to trust yourself over time and our intuition after abuse, it gets like, it gets like rocked upside down. And so like when we're out of an abusive relationship, even though we're like out of the actual situation, our intuition is like not fully working. It's like broken a little bit. And so through the therapy that I've been doing, my therapist has been like working through moments and helping me heal, um, through this like therapy called brain spotting. Um, but something that he had said to me was like, your intuition is like a little bit broken right now because you've been like in fight or flight for so long that in dating, um, 
I tend to like pick up signals that are not actually real. So like the moment that I sense that I'm like, I could be like misled astray or someone could be lying or there's something that reminds me of something my ex did. Um, I immediately like flag that as like distrust. And then I get really anxious and I panic. And then I think, oh, this must be a sign that like, I'm not able to trust this person because I'm feeling, I'm feeling this way. And so it's really, really challenging to like, to date and to navigate learning somebody new and letting someone in. But I think just for those listening and for like you even, like I think something that I'm learning is that like the more that we learn how to trust ourselves, but also create non-negotiables for what we will and won't tolerate while also recognizing that people aren't perfect and like a person is going to fail you. Like they may, you know, do something that's not great, but you have these sort of uh, boundaries, right? And these lines. And then when you're dating, those are the parameters for relationships. And so if somebody is like crossing these lines and continues to cross those parameters, um, that's kind of like our like ability to be able to see that somebody is maybe not um, is showing exemplifying signs that maybe they're not safe um, because our intuition does get kind of out of whack and it takes a really long time for that to come and be realigned again. Um, and so that's something that my therapist kind of gave me and it, it's really helped me in like my current um, like relationship that I'm in. So a question that I have for you is when did you realize something was wrong and at what point did it kind of hit you like something's not right? <laughs> oh, that's a fun answer. Um, I will say on our honeymoon, <laughs> um, but I can back up for a second to, to get to that point. So we, we met, um, he moved in with me really fast. Like I had my own apartment at a nice place was doing okay for myself and he had nothing. So he latched onto me really quick. And, um, again, I worked at a comedy club. So, you know, I served drinks and uh, bar food basically to people at a, at a comedy show. And we'd known each other at this point a month and I got called up on stage with him and he proposed to me in front of an audience of 300 people. Yeah literally only knew this man for a month and I was infatuated with him. Right. Like, I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't head over heels at some level, but it was very too fast. And I'm standing there on stage with spotlights on me. And I'm, I, what, what do you say? I mean, I, I, I didn't know how to say no. And kind of to your point a second ago, like I've, I didn't realize, but looking back, I had no concept of boundaries and mm -hmm. I still struggle a little bit with that. And I'm, but I'm recognizing it now. And I, you know, I wish the 41 year old me could go back 20 years because I've got a lot figured out now, <laughs> but I had no boundaries. And I just, I, I didn't want to say yes, but I felt weird saying no. And like, no felt like a rejection. And I didn't want to reject my boyfriend, but I didn't want to agree to marry him either. So so I said, yes. Right. Like I, I just, I did. And, and actually it was, it was November. Um, and so I remember at Christmas, he went with me to my family Christmas and I was trying to hide my engagement ring 
because I didn't want my family to see it. I was like, my grandma's going to think I'm nuts because that is nuts. And now I know rushing into a, you know, marriage is that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of red flags. He was significantly older than me, all these lies, um, rushing to propose to me, rushing to move in with me, all of these things, all the red flags were there, but I, I didn't know what a red flag was. And so we got married just a few months later. So we'd only been together, I think five months, six months, um, when we got married. And so again, I'd been married before I had a three-year-old son at the time. He was four by the time we got married. And so obviously that he's part of the package. My son is, and this man was great with my son. I remember, like I said, one of those memories that always sticks in my head. I can picture the playground. We went to this giant playground and my kid's three years old. He's running all over the place, going down the slides and up the ladders and this, this and that. And I ran out of energy. I was like, have at it, dude. I'm going to sit down. And my boyfriend is all over the place with him. He's chasing him. He's pushing him on the swings. He was incredible with my son. And I thought, this is this is the kind of guy I could spend my life with. He loves my son like his own, right? Mm. <laughs> and then we get married. And again, he he brought nothing. He brought nothing um, to our relationship, like financially or anything. I'm pretty sure even um, now that my engagement ring was the engagement ring that his previous fiance had given back to him. Um, I'm pretty sure it had been recycled, but um, I had a a small trust fund. My, my brothers and I had all been gifted trust funds when we turned 18, small, not a ton of money, but it was some money. And I cashed in my trust fund and I paid for, we had a small wedding, but we had a a wedding reception. um, And then most of the trust fund went to pay for us to, uh, take a honeymoon in Mexico. And th- again, this man had nothing. He'd never mm-hmm. been on a plane in his life before. And here he's wow. hooked up with a girl with a trust fund. <laughs> yeah. Just looking back, it's it's comical. It's totally a lifetime movie, as I'm sure <laughs> most of the stories you hear are. Yeah. So we fly to Mexico. We just, we got married and um, my parents watched my son while we were gone for a week in Mexico. And I was just, you know, how much better could life get? Right. And so here's another one of those memories that just sticks, just burns in my mind. Our first night in Mexico, we're lying in lawn chairs on the beach overlooking the Gulf of Mexico. And it's, you know, the sun is setting and there's a thunderstorm over the water. It was beautiful. It was absolutely incredible watching this storm out in the distance over the water we're in Mexico. We just got married. Like it was just this perfect moment. And I'm a talker. I talk a lot and I have a beautiful four-year-old son at this point. And I'm, I'm just running my mouth about my kid. I don't remember what I was saying, but I was talking about my son and my now husband turned to me and he said, can you please not talk about him for the rest of our vacation? Wow. And I just, my blood ran cold because I realized in that moment, all of the things that I had tried to pretend were misunderstandings and this man was not who he said he was. And Mm. now I'm married to him and Mm. I'm in another country alone with him. And I just, I realized I'd made a mistake in that moment. Mm. Wow. And it's like, 
I just think about <clears throat> I think this question is always the hardest question um for me personally to hear because when you realize something was wrong really is when your world as you knew it sort of starts to crash down and it may not happen all at once sometimes it does and you realize like this is not the right person for me or this is not who he said he was um but it's sort of like you know there's a line of dominoes and then one gets knocked and then the rest are going to start falling down and I can't, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine actually what it's like to be in another country and realize it. Um, right. But I, I never want to hear that somebody else has felt like that. And obviously our experiences are different. Um, every single one of our experiences is different, but all so threaded together in the same way, which I think is just mm-hmm. wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and so tell me what happened after that, um, how was the rest, the remainder of your honeymoon? I mean, I was there and and it was paradise. And so I made the best of it. We actually, from what I remember, we ended up having a good time, but I just, my whole marriage was kind of like that afterwards. There were, there were moments where I was like, I made a mistake. I'm with the wrong person. How do I get out? And then that, you know, that the hoovering back in where they, um, <laughs> where they're sweet and they're kind and they buy you flowers or, you know, whatever. And, and you go back and forth with these glimpses of the person you thought that you married. Mm-hmm. And you keep thinking, if I just get my act together, if I, if I just do what I'm supposed to do, cause I can't change him. But if, if I do everything right on my end, I can get that man back. And, and if I can, again, show him that unconditional love and let him know like that he doesn't have to lie and he doesn't have to, you know, whatever I, maybe I can get back to that, get that man back. And it, it was just a yo-yo back and forth over all the years where there were moments where I just wanted to die. And there were moments where I thought we had a normal marriage and mm-hmm. it just all over the place. It just depended on the day, you know, if you'd asked me what I thought and, yeah. um, it, I really struggled because I'd already been divorced once. So here I am in my early twenties, I'm on my second marriage and I just can't fathom the shame of a second divorce. Right. And looking back, you know, I do anything to turn back the clocks and (laughs) who cares if I've been divorced twice? Like this has been a nightmare. Mm -hmm. But at the time that was one of my big thoughts was I can't, how do I do this? You know, how do I, how do I explain to the world that I'm divorced twice? What, you know, how shameful is that? And again, what does that say about me? And so at the time that was part of what kept me. And then, you know how it is, the longer you stay, the more you you feel invested. I've, I've been here for two years now, three years now or whatever. And then even when I finally, it got to um, a point, I will say this, he never hit me and he holds that over my head. He never hit me. Um, there were sexual things. There was the lying. There was a lot of cheating. He put his hands on my son twice that I'm aware of. Um, I mean, he was a con artist. I, I, mm-hmm. 
but he never hit me. So he made sure he, he points that out regularly. Um, so I, I would never have said that I was in an abusive marriage anytime during my marriage. It wasn't until after I got out and the post-separation abuse started, which I didn't know that's what it was called. Um, but as I was frantically Googling to try and figure out what the hell just happened with my life, I thought I escaped my abuser and now my life was worse. Um, that's when I realized I had been in an abusive marriage because that's the, the rhetoric is if they didn't hit you, that's then you're not being abused and, oh, well, yeah, people cheat. That's a thing. No, he, he, uh, pathologically cheated. I mean, it was, it, it, that was just what he did for fun in his free time. You know, and he made up stories. It wasn't like he lied to get out of trouble. He lied because it was funny that he knew that he could lie and there was nothing I could do about it. He'd lie about stuff that he knew I knew he was lying and he would just smirk at me because what am I going to say? What do I say to that? You're lying. He's just going to deny it. He would just gaslight me. So it was, it, I didn't know it was abusive, but over the years, um, I don't know. Are you familiar with the Gabby Petito case at all? Yes. Yes. Very. So that was my marriage. A lot of provoking and a lot of getting me to the point of hysterics and then him calming down and good Lord, if I never hear this phrase again, it'll be too soon. He would get me to the point of hysterics, to the point that I was screaming at him where I was out of control and he would calm down and he would say, Jennifer, why are you so upset? And I'm sitting there like, what do you mean? Why am I? You just started a fight. You, you were yelling at me. You were just yelling two seconds ago. And he'd be like, you're the one yelling, Jennifer. And I just crazy making, like mm-hmm. I spent 16 years with crazy making. And the, the funny thing about that case too, was, um, it was, it was coming up in the news and whatnot when she went missing, um, during the middle of my post-separation abuse. And I was having anxiety attacks at work. Like I was not watching the news. Like I kind of heard her name, but I wasn't following the story. Right. And I was at work one day and my older son called me and he asked me if I was familiar with that. And I said, well, I know who you're talking about. Um, but I, I'm not following the case. So I, why are you calling me <laughs> about this? Yeah. And yeah. he said, mom, they just released the body cam footage from when the police were with her and her boyfriend. And he said, mom, I watched that footage and it was like watching you and dad. Mm. And that's, that's what my marriage was. So I had no idea that was abuse and Gabby Petito probably didn't have a clue that she was being abused either. Um, but that's, that's the kind of stuff that I lived with. And there were times where I, told him I was going to leave or I tried to leave. And some of the times he would, you know, try to sweet talk me back and make his excuses and promise he'd do better, blah, blah, blah. There were a few of those, but mostly um, he likes um, coercion. He likes intimidation. So he would threaten me. He, Mm -hmm. um, he, at I let him adopt my older son. So he's legally his father, which I realized that was a horrible idea because that gave him a lot of control over my life Mm. Um, because now he, you know, had legal rights to this child if I divorced him. And there was one time that I told him we were done and he said, well, then I'm taking our son and he had our little boy and he said, 
right in front of me, he said to our son, your mommy doesn't want you. And he put him in the car and he took him away and refused to tell me where they were going. And he was gone for a whole weekend, which is a lifetime. If you're a mother, Yeah, I didn't know where my son was. And this man is not his biological father. He doesn't clearly didn't love him, clearly resented him. He was horrible to him after we got married. Our whole, my poor kid's whole childhood, he was made to feel like trash by this man. And um, he took my kid for a whole weekend. And I, after that, I never wanted to leave him because I thought he's going to take my kid. And I, I didn't, I didn't actually file for divorce until two months after my son moved out of the house and was married. I, mm. I stayed that long. I stayed till my son was 20 and moved out and was secure in his own career and family. And I knew he was okay. Now I have a younger son, unfortunately, and I wasn't able to stay any longer, but I didn't think he would do the things he's doing to our son. Now I thought, I thought we could leave now. I really did. Mm. I think, um, your story provides a different conversation because most of the uh, more recent episodes, well, yeah, majority have not been in, um, they haven't been, um, there haven't been children involved. And it adds another layer, another, another layer um, when you have children, because it's so intertwined with like, I think our reason to stay mm -hmm. uh, and also just the control and the leverage that is placed when there is a child involved. Um, and yeah, I think it's, uh, it's why I think a lot of, a lot of abuse, um, victims stay, um, for their children, which is a tough one because I think it can get, uh, really confusing for moms who, I mean, your case was, I mean, a bit different, but I think, uh, just moms who are financially dependent on their spouse and don't have any other source of income. And like you were saying earlier, when you stay with someone for a long time and you're with someone for a few years, you're making it work and you kind of learn how to navigate the good and bad days as best as you can. And so you sort of learn how to live amongst somebody who is unstable um, or abusive or both. And uh, it, the thought and the reality of raising a child as a single, single parent, um, I mean, for some reason, I think a lot of times people think that they can't do it. I know I did. I was like, I can't do it. And he used to tell me that he'd be like, you can't do it. Like, watch, you're going to fail. And so I stayed um, for a long time. And I think leaving though, I know that you said that you have help, you have another child. Um, you have, so you have the one son that was from the previous marriage and then you both had a child together, correct? Correct. Um, so what does that look like now? I don't know how much you can like communicate just about that relationship or that current. Yeah. It was, it was so bizarre. So with the, when I finally decided to leave, like I said, he, 
he'd cheated on me throughout our marriage, um, but never had like a full on affair, like a relationship with a woman. Again, he's not a very attractive man. <laughs> um, I don't know. I had a lot of friends over the years ask me like, why are you with this guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. But um, around the time that our older son was getting married, um, he, my husband had hired a, an assistant at work and um, ended up having a, a full-blown affair with this girl. She's young enough to be his daughter. She also was, um, I believe, in the process of about to go through a divorce from an abusive man, had three young kids. She was probably just like me, probably thought I'm divorced in my 20s you know, with kids. No man's ever going to want me. And my husband made sure she knew he wanted her. And I'm pretty sure she knew he was married, but I'm sure he told her a sob story or told her we weren't to get, I don't know. I don't know what he told her, but I'm sure he charmed her. And so it wasn't just a one night stand or whatever. He had an affair with this girl and I think he's still with her two years later. I don't know exactly what he's doing, but I think she lives with him and her kids. And I think she's in my shoes now. And, um, I, I was done. Um, he really rubbed the affair in my face, which was incredibly painful. Um, that's when I started um, seeing a therapist then too. I was having panic attacks and I, I didn't even know what a panic attack was. Like I'd heard the term, but I never had one before. I didn't have anxiety issues. I, <laughs> I didn't take any kind of medication for anything, but I started having panic attacks and I didn't know what they were, but I knew I needed drugs. <laughs> I needed something to, to, to calm my, 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 um, my blood pressure down. Like I was just, my body felt awful. Like the feeling of a panic attack is just a horrible feeling. And so I started seeing a therapist to, so I could get some anti-anxiety medication. So I started seeing a therapist and she was the first one that used the word narcissist around me when I was describing what, how he was having this affair with this girl. He was taking her on weekend trips to Anna Maria Island and ghosting his family for the whole weekend. And he'd never done that before. And it was just cruel. It was absolutely cruel what he was doing. And she said, he sounds like a narcissist. And so that's when I started, you know, really starting to understand what, who he was and what I'd actually been through was abuse. And, um, he was enamored with this new relationship. He had this whole new, he he got to start over with, a, with his con story. Cause he knew, I knew I'd known for years and I just put up with it because I didn't know what else to do. And so I thought now's my chance. I, I want out. He doesn't seem to care whether I'm here or not. And he'd never, he'd, he'd been physical. He'd been horrible to my older son, but he'd never been bad to our, our son. Um, he wasn't a great dad. He wasn't super involved, but he, he wasn't a bad dad. And so I really thought that we could get divorced and I would leave and he and I would raise our son together. And I, you know, I, I was pained by the affair, but I really didn't have animosity because I wanted out. So if he wants to have an affair and he, and this girl thinks she found her soulmate super. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to be involved. I just want to move on. And so we actually have a um, a weird story in the sense that we did our divorce completely outside of court. We never stepped foot in court to get divorced. It wasn't super easy. We had some arguments 
but um, we were able to sit down together and come to agreements on the house and um, the kid and all of our money, our cars, our possessions. Like we literally, we walked through our entire house and went over every single item in the house. Will you keep these dishes and I'll keep these dishes and you can have these books and I'll have those books. And um, I let him keep the house and he agreed to pay me alimony for five years, basically as a divorce settlement, but alimony instead of one lump sum. Um, so we, we came to agreements on everything and we never stepped foot in court. I had an attorney review it and type it up and file it. And we were divorced, um, the end of December of 2020. And he even encouraged me to move away. We lived in Florida, but, um, back home was the Midwest. And so he kept saying, you know, that I should move back home where I'd have support. And I have family up here. And so he encouraged me to move. And since I knew he had signed away rights to his first two kids, I thought he just doesn't want to raise a kid. And that's fine. Cause I do, I, I do. So we moved, um, we moved back home in the beginning of January. My older son um, helped me drive up. It was uh, 1200 miles away. So he helped me drive up and, um, with, um, the little kid and their cat. And then my, my ex now ex-husband, he actually agreed to drive a moving truck for me. Cause I can't drive a giant moving truck. So he actually packed up all my boxes in the moving truck by himself. And he drove a U-Haul 1200 miles and he helped me move into my apartment. And <laughs> I thought, okay, he's got his new supply. I moved on and, you know, we had a, a schedule for when he would visit with our son. And I, I don't know. I, th I thought I made a clean getaway, but he would call regularly and talk to me on the phone for hours. I couldn't get him off the phone about how he made a mistake and he wanted me back. And it was just baloney. I knew he was still seeing that girl. I knew he didn't want me back. I didn't want him back. You know, it was, it was just weird. It was just a control thing. And, um, anyway, long story short, he insisted that he wanted to come up and see us right after he moved us up here, like two weeks later. So he flew up here to visit. He called me a few weeks later and insisted that I fly to Florida and we do it again. And I said, no, like we're done. And he insisted that he wanted to see our son. So I flew our son down there in March of 2021. So just a couple months after our divorce was final. And I said, but I'm not staying the weekend with you. You can drop me off at our older son's house and I'll spend the weekend with him while you spend a weekend with our younger son, have your time with our kid. And he basically from that moment on, when I said, I'm not having sex with you anymore, you and I are 100% done. He lost his mind on me and just harassing me. And, um, I changed my phone number. I said, I can't talk to you on the phone anymore. I can't do this. You can communicate me, communicate with me via email only period. I want it in writing. I want to talk to you. And again, up to this point, he had never, ever been bad to our son. Nothing that I could ever think of. Nothing that I could, I can't, I couldn't even try to think of something that he'd done to our younger son. But at that point, he realized that was the only way he could get to me. And so since then, since I said, I'm never having sex with you again, you're not talking to me on the phone anymore. 
you and I are done. And he realized I was serious and he really had lost me <sighs> after having control of me for 17 years. He came at me guns a blazing and my son is now his pawn. He tells my son horrible lies about me. And my son lives with me. My son knows me. <laughs> um, like I said, I don't date. So all my free time is with my son. So he, he says things to, he'll say, um, oh, I saw your mommy posted on Facebook um, pictures of her kissing her boyfriend. And my son's like, there's no boyfriend, dad. Like, and it bothers him. Like he loves his mom. He loves his dad too. But when someone's talking trash about your mom, you know, it makes you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of that, a lot of lies that way, um, he's made scheduling time sharing difficult um, on purpose to try to get me to get on the phone. So he puts our son in the middle. So our son will say, well, daddy said there aren't any flights on June 21st. So he said, you need to call him so you guys can figure out flights and just stuff like that, like constantly putting our son in the middle. And, um, and then when our son has been with him, um, he moved this woman and her three kids in, didn't tell our son, our son has autism. He doesn't do change well. Um, so he went, flew down last, uh, that first summer to visit daddy and daddy never even told him <laughs> that there's a whole other family living in your childhood home. There's another little boy that sleeps in your bedroom now. And so my kid was blindsided and daddy's very scary and intimidating. So he couldn't confide in daddy that he was overwhelmed by all these changes that daddy didn't prepare him for. And again, he has autism like this. My, my son was losing his mind and didn't have his mom, his safe person there to talk to about it. And so my son um, became suicidal from that point on. My son's in therapy now. And basically every week he goes to his therapist to talk about what his dad's done to him that week, what he said to him, what lies he's told him, what kind of manipulation he's pulled on him. Um, he has nightmares when he comes back from his dad. So I don't know what all goes on down there. I like to think that it's nothing more than a, a lot of emotional abuse, but literally my son comes home and has nightmares every time after he has visits. Um, dad doesn't let him talk to me. He blocks my phone number when our son is with him. So he can't even talk to me. Um, I was lucky this summer because we had trial. Um, it was supposed to be scheduled this summer. It did get rescheduled, but so he let me talk to him some, um, this summer, I think, because he knew we were about to go to court. Um, mm. but yeah, so my poor son who has a disability that he needs things to be constant and, and he needs to be prepared for change and things like that is completely thrown out the window when he's with dad. And he doesn't have, like I said, his safe person, his mom to even be able to have a phone call with. Um, and he'll tell, he tells, he's living with this woman, but he tells our son that she just doesn't have anywhere to stay and she's just a friend. And, but then he'll, you know, two days later, they'll be in the swimming pool and daddy will say, oh, I'm going to marry this woman. So he's telling our son that it's just a friend, but then he says he's going to marry her. But then he tells our son, you need to pray for our family to get back together. It, so just, and he's, he's 13 now. So he, he's not young, but he's not old. So some of it, he gets, some of it's confusing. Some of it goes over his head. 
Um, I'm actually grateful for the autism because I think it keeps him from processing some of the stuff that a typical kid might, it, just a lot of it goes over his head. Mm. Um, but yeah, he tells his therapist, daddy confuses me. Mm. And he, um, he told me recently, you know, he's supposed to see daddy for Thanksgiving this year. I had Thanksgiving last year with our son. So this year is daddy's year for Thanksgiving and daddy likes to play the victim. <laughs> so the latest um, drama is that he's telling everyone that I'm refusing to let our son fly down there for Thanksgiving, which is not true. I've asked him three or four times, just send a plane ticket. This is when Thanksgiving break is. So buy a plane ticket. And one time it was, there are no flights. They're all sold out. Well, yeah, one time it was all the flights are sold out. One time it was there aren't, Allegiant doesn't fly on those dates, which then fly on a different airline. I don't know. It's just always something. So he's basically insisting that he's not going to fly our son down for Thanksgiving. And I finally said, fine, like I'll make other plans for him. If you don't want to have him for Thanksgiving, that's fine. But then I asked our son, has daddy mentioned Thanksgiving to you? And he said, yeah, he said, I'm coming down. Mm. So daddy's not buying him a plane ticket, but he's telling him he's coming down. So I, I can't wait to see what happens on Thanksgiving break. What kind of baloney he's going to tell our son about, well, your mom wouldn't let you come or why aren't you at the airport? Or I don't know. Mm. Um, and my son isn't stupid. Like he knows that daddy should have bought a plane ticket by now and there isn't one. So I must not be going, but daddy tells me I'm going. Mm. Um, daddy's called the police on me before for no reason. So my son's had to be interrogated by the police. Um, he's called my son and threatened to call the police on me other times to my son told our son, I'm calling the police. I'm going to have your mommy thrown in jail. Like mm. that's terrifying for a kid. Yeah. So it's, like I said, I, I think it's mostly just, you know, psychological abuse, um, which is still horrible, but I don't know. Like I said, he comes home with nightmares and um, he says, you know, daddy scares him and I can't, I can't protect him and I'm glad I got out, but yeah, it's actually been worse. Um, the stuff that he's doing to me and our son since we left is, is worse than mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, you kind of get used to it. You learn how to navigate their crazy. And I've had to learn how to navigate a new crazy. Yeah. Whew. I think. I think it's. Um, I know it's not. Ever. There's never an easy when it comes to being a survivor of abuse um, because it's, even though you're out of the situation, um, having to rebuild your life after is extremely hard. And I don't think anyone ever prepares you. I don't think anybody ever really can prepare you for the type of struggle it takes sometimes to rebuild your life. Because while you're out of the actual abusive relationship, you're left with sort of the bruises and scars, um, and they're not physical, of having to heal and learn how to trust yourself and others and the PTSD and, and anxiety and there's depression and so many things. But um, I think there's, you know, so many, I have witnessed two different sides, um, when it comes to children, whether it's the moms who 
are fighting currently for custody of their children and are in these nasty, you know, custody battles for years. Um, or um, I think you provide insight for people who are listening, who have been through abusive relationships, who are currently sharing um, some type of joint custody with an abusive partner. And I think that you, you know, coming on here and sharing your story, um, I don't think that it's a coincidence, like, because uh, I think you actually provide like a story that we haven't yet had on what was her name. And I think you have um, an experience as well as a voice for those who are listening, um, parents who are listening, who are currently navigating how to handle and navigate having shared custody with someone who's abusive. And there's never an easy tip. It's not, it's not easy. Looking back on where I was since I stayed long enough for my older son to already be gone from the house and my younger son, he wasn't being hurt at the time. And he knew mommy and daddy fought. Um, both of my kids heard my husband raping me at night, but didn't, I, I've never asked my older son what he heard exactly. Mm -hmm. I've asked my younger son what he heard and he just thought mommy and daddy were fighting. He did not know what daddy was doing to me. Um, he heard a lot of slamming doors when I would say no and things like that, but he just thought we were fighting. I don't think another few years of that would have damaged him the way that this is damaging him. If I could go back, I would have gladly let this man have whatever affairs he wanted if it meant protecting my son a little bit longer. But you don't know what they're going to do when you leave. And most abusive situations are impacting the kids, um, whether they're being physically touched or not. They are witnessing. Um, they're witnessing what becomes their normal. I grew up in a household where my mother allowed herself to be a doormat. I don't want to say much more. My, my mother has passed on and my father is still living and I love him. So I won't go into details, but I grew up seeing a woman who did everything in her power to keep the peace at home. And so that's what I thought was the norm. And so that's what I've done. I did everything in my power to protect my children and to keep the peace and to make him happy. And so your children, you just have to, every situation's different, but you have to really, what are they seeing? What are they experiencing? And really weigh that because the reality is <laughs> you leave and then what? Then they get shared custody with your, of your children. And then you're not there to protect them. So I don't know. There's no right answer. Um, the, I, the right answer is if we could all go back in time and learn <laughs> what red flags are when we're teenagers. And if someone can pull us aside and say, you can't marry this person, he's crazy. Because um, uh, everyone I knew saw that this man was nutso. And, but nobody pulled me aside and said, you need to stop. Take a minute, take a week, take a month you know, you don't have to get married right away. Let's, let's take some time. Nobody, not my parents, not anybody. They just 
and, and I don't blame anybody. It, I made my choices, but if we had more people step up and say, Hey, just, let's just not rush. Let's, let's take some more time to get to know this person. You know, you can marry them a week later, a month later. I don't know. Um, and you get to see people for who they really are maybe before you dive in and get married and have children. But once you're there, there are just so many factors to weigh. Um, I will say, and not to throw out a sales pitch, but I have, um, as I've had to navigate the family court system and try to understand what it's, what I'm doing here, navigating, um, divorcing a narcissist and, and raising a child with a narcissist. I ended up taking, um, Tina Swithin's high conflict divorce coach certification program. And I am now part-time on the side, um, a high conflict divorce coach. And when I was first navigating all of this, when his post-separation abuse started, um, I hired a coach and she was my rock. Um, so I would recommend if you have the financial means, or if you can find someone that'll help you, um, to hire a coach, even for just a couple hours here or there to, these are women that have been through it. These are women who have been trained. We take courses from, you know, Dr. Romani about narcissism. We've taken courses from attorneys about how to give a deposition or what mediation is like, how to do a custody evaluation. Like we've been trained on the whole shebang. And honestly, there's so many things that you go into this not knowing, especially when you have children you're trying to protect meeting with a coach and giving them your story. Because like you've said a few times tonight, everyone's story is different. They're, they're very similar. There, there are patterns that, that repeat. Um, a lot of the nuances are the same, but they're all very different stories. So I would recommend if you're able to meet with a coach or, or someone else who's gone through it, you don't necessarily have to pay someone, but if you can find someone intelligent that you can trust that's been through it and you can share what your specific nuances are. In my case, if I could have stayed, it probably would have been safer for my son. Most cases, probably not. But then what happens when you leave? Um, what does that look like? What are, you know, different states? Um, you know, most states lean toward a 50-50 shared equal custody. Um, but maybe your state's a little bit different, or maybe the judges in your community, your county are a little different. If you're able to ask some of those questions of people that are in the know before you leave, so you at least know what you're going into, um, you'll hear people, oh, this stuff drives me crazy. People will say stuff that they think they know and they're so wrong. They'll say, oh, well, this is a mom state. There is no such thing as a mom state. I've not heard of a mom state. And I work with over 100 high conflict divorce coaches. Not one of them has told me about a mom state. Yeah. Um, they'll yeah. say things like, well, aren't your kids old enough to decide for themselves? I have not heard of more than a, a case or two where a judge has even allowed a child to speak to him and say who they want to live with. And even if a judge says, okay, your son prefers to live with mom, my son already lives with me. He's with me over 80% of the time and he still gets abused. So they don't ever just take the kid completely away from their dad. So your child is going to be exposed to this man one way or another. So I, I really would say your case is unique. Your family is unique. Your situation is unique. And it's good to talk to someone who 
has been through it and understands some of the, the, the system or your community or whatever, a little bit to be mm-hmm. able to help you navigate, you know, what that might look like for your situation. Um, cause you do want to leave, but mm-hmm. you have to think about what, what it looks like on both sides for your kids. Yeah, no, definitely. I would agree. I think, I think as someone who, who is like also navigated it, this whole thing, um, truly like on my own in the beginning, um, a lot of it, I learned through trial and error, but what people don't realize is that there's a whole community of people who have experienced abuse. Um, and you just have to look for them. (laughs) And then once you do, you start following them, um, on Instagram, uh, there's a lot of people who are advocating against it, who have gone through it before. Like you said, um, yeah, people who have walked, um, before you. And so I think it's, it's really helpful, um, for those who are listening, who are considering leaving and who, you know, maybe are in, have already left and are navigating it now. Um, if you're, if you have the means to hire a coach and I think adding that onto your team, um, I think having a team, for example, having a therapist, um, having a, you know, a community who can surround you, even if it's just one to two people who know your situation and who can continue to support you when you start to question whether or not you made the right decision. Um, and I think even having like, I don't know how you guys do it, but having, I think if it's possible for like, if you have a team, like if you have a lawyer and you are able to have the means to have a lawyer, sometimes I found that I mean, for my lawyer, me specifically, my lawyer, I mean, it was like by the grace of God that I was able to even be where I am right now with my son and had nothing to do with her (laughs) because she did not advocate for us really inside spit. And um, so I think if you can, if you can have um, a coach who's walked through it before, who could even possibly have um, some conversations with like a lawyer with your lawyer could be really helpful probably as well for you. Um, because I think that they see things that some lawyers may just not, um, even though, you know, some lawyers are, you know, I don't know, like my lawyer, um, she was a lawyer for 30, 40 years, but when it came to domestic abuse, um, she didn't really know what she was doing. Um, and there was a lot of loopholes that we could have avoided probably if we would have, I would have hired somebody like, like who's, who had been trained in, in this. So you tried to talk to your attorney about, well, this happened and this, and he said this, and he sent this message and he was late to pick up and he forgot her medicine. And you name all these 500 things that you think are important. Your attorney is going to either charge you a million dollars because you just wasted five hours of their time Mm -hmm. or, and just take your money. Or they're just going to shut you down and be like, none of this matter. And they're, they're going to blow you off. So you're right. If you have a team of all three of those, and I'll say as a Christian, and I coach as a Christian coach, um, I think you also need Jesus. <laughs> Personally, I couldn't have gotten where I am without my coach and without Jesus. And so whatever your team looks like, um, no one should have to go through this journey alone. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. I definitely will. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a believer. Um, I'm always not cautious necessarily, but I recognize that a lot of people who are listening, um, it's a tough season. Um, when you are in an abusive relationship out of one or processing trauma, uh, 
it, I mean, I know I had a really rough season with the Lord and still am uh, growing and learning a lot. And so I think um, I would agree a hundred percent though. Like, I mean, without God in the mix, like I said, I think uh, you can have the highest degree and be the best lawyer in town, but I think, or, you know, have um, you supported as many women through trials, but if you don't, I don't know, for me, God is, I think, um, really, I truly believe the only reason that like we are where we are right now. Um, so I a hundred percent second to that. And I think it's incredible, um, like what you're doing. And I think, um, yeah, for those listening, I'll go ahead and put a, I don't, do you have a link where people can contact you or is it just through your Instagram? Absolutely. Um, I have a website and Instagram. So the name of my company is be like Abigail. So it's be like Abigail.com or, um, on Instagram, it's be like B E underscore like underscore Abigail. And, um, if you're familiar with the story of Abigail in the Bible, it's kind of a lesser known story, but when I, um, found it, um, it really resonated with me. Abigail was married to a man who was basically a narcissist and because of his own ego, he almost got himself killed. Um, David sent his men to go kill her husband because he had offended David. And when Abigail found out, I don't know if I were her, I probably would have been like, all right, let, let, let the worst happen. This guy deserves it. But she didn't. She was a godly woman and she stepped in and she saved him from being murdered. And that's. So I call my business be like Abigail because I want to be like Abigail in my fight. And I want other women to be like Abigail in the sense that these men provoke us and push our buttons and, and trigger us. And like you said, you know, some of us come away with this with PTSD or complex PTSD or, you know, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. We, we come away with all of this heaviness, but the reality is if nothing else, you do not want this man who has abused you, abused your children, destroyed pieces of your life to grow a root of bitterness inside of you. Do not allow them to have that power. And so absolutely, if, um, if anyone's interested in, and just, you know, shoot me an email if you just want someone to talk to. Um, but my goal is to help women navigate through the family court system, protect their children, but protect who they are at their core. Like you said, most of us believe the best in people because we're the perfect target. That's how we often see them as they just, they just need someone to give them unconditional love. And I don't ever want to change who I am because of what he's done to me. And there are days where that's hard. Um, mm-hmm. There are days where I'm angry and bitter. Um, and I, I have to pray through that because I, I don't want what he's done to me to ever change me. And my son too, when we have situations, I tell my son, we need to pray daddy, pray for daddy. I say, we love daddy and we need to pray for daddy. And that's where I leave it. Yeah. That's amazing. I actually follow, I think I followed your be like Abigail. I didn't put the two and two together. Um, Cause I think I followed that account when I was looking for other survivors and I found that page and you said that, and then I like put it in my little search handle and I'm following that page. So that's crazy. I didn't, I didn't put the two together because your other Instagram handles something different. Yes. Um, that's amazing though. Um, 
yeah, I'm speechless. I mean, that's incredible. I always think it's uh, insane when I hear stories of like yours is, is, uh, I mean, it's wild um, and it's um, anyone's worst nightmare. And so I think hearing you um, be able to cultivate a life for yourself and also to be able to like create this like platform for others where you're able to like help other people walk through um, what maybe you didn't have somebody else walk you through. Um, It's so necessary. And I think the only way that you can do that is if you have gone through it. And so, um, yeah, for those listening, I'll go ahead and um, I'll go ahead and like share the link to the website in the bio here on Spotify and Apple podcast, but then I'll also post it and share it to my stories on what was her name and also on my personal page maya.who underscore and then your instagram handle did you already say that one yeah it's b underscore like underscore abigail do you have any other tips that you want to give somebody listening or do you feel like you've settled that kind of already oh well i mean i can add to that for sure i know I was with this man for 17 years and he made a lot of threats to me. He basically told me that he would do everything in his power to ruin my life if I left him. And, and he, he's certainly um, made a valiant attempt to do so since I've left. But when I finally decided that it was time to leave, that I was actually going to do it, you know, I was scared. I I was only working part-time at the time, um, I planned to move 1200 miles away. I had no idea how I was going to pay for a moving truck or get my own plate. I had no idea how I was going to do any of it. I had no idea if I was going to be able to afford to live on my own. I didn't know. Um, but I told myself I was so miserable in my marriage that it was worth anything. It was worth all of the things he threatened to just get out he said he would destroy me if I left. And I said, it's worth it. And so I left and I found that he was right. He was going to do everything in his power to ruin my life. But I was also right. It was worth it. Mm. Mm. I just, I'm like overwhelmed. Um, I think So something that I think is important to say is that I think, so um, going into this third season, um, I've mentioned that there are hundreds of people who have responded and reached out and who have expressed interest. Um, But for some reason on this season, particularly, um, a lot of people have like backed out last minute. Um, and I know that sharing trauma is really scary. And so it's part of what I've recognized is just, (laughs) that's just part that comes with having a podcast about domestic violence is that I'm essentially asking survivors to come forward and talk about the worst things that have ever happened to them. And people don't want to relive that because they're doing a lot to try and rebuild their lives. Um, but 
every survivor that comes on and shares their story. Um, it's another story that has a place here and uh, it's going to reach the people that it needs to reach. And that is how we have so many testimonies um, that are being shared because of people who come forward and share their stories. That being said, um, you sharing your, um, your story is, I just truly believe not a coincidence because I was just praying, um, yesterday because I was like, I, I was like, I know that the right people are going to come on this season and need to share their stories. And I don't care how many people, you know, aren't ready. I, I care that they're not ready to share it, but it, I mean that, you know, I just want to have this platform for the right people for the right time in the right season to come on and share their stories. And I've just been praying that God would just supply the right people. And I think if you're not ready to share it yet, that's okay. Because we all have our own timing to be able to share our story. It's our story and um, it's ours to share. And so I think you coming on and sharing your story when you are, it's not a coincidence. And I think um, yeah, just hearing it come full circle. And I know there's so much more to your story that I'm sure you have not even shared because we have this window of time here on what was her name, um, that it all could, couldn't possibly fit in an hour and a half. Um, but I know that it's going to reach the right people and, um, impact the right people. And for someone listening, hearing you who have experienced all of this trauma to be able to say like it was worth it um, and to hear where you're at right now, it gives other people hope. And so I'm just really grateful that you um, were willing to come on here and share. And I'm really expectant and looking forward to hearing the testimonies that come from those who will reach out to you and who will want to consult with you about how to work through their, you know, divorce journey. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm blown away by you truly. Like, I'm not even saying that, like I, your story is incredible. You know, I, um, in our, our marriage, long story short, I was in church briefly, um, when I was married the first time. And when my husband left me and, and, and my baby, I, I ran from God. I, I, you know, I didn't know where was God in all this and how could he let this happen? And I was a mess. I was a kid and divorced and with a baby and it was a mess. And so I ran from God for many years and then I married this guy and, um, <laughs> it was awful. And I got to a place where I had tried everything I could do in my power to try to fix my marriage and my life. And it wasn't getting any better. And so it brought me back to church and I'm grateful for that. And then not just that, but as I grew as a Christian, I prayed for years for God to use me. And we were, it was a weird place. We went to church like an hour away from where we lived. And so it wasn't even like I could invite my neighbors to come to church with us because who's going to drive an hour to church, you know, um, to a church they've never been to and, you know, whatever. And so I just thought, I can't even bring people to church with me. Like, how, how are you going to use me, God? And I prayed and I prayed and I remember being at church one day, just crying, saying, God, who else is on their knees right now, crying, begging to be used and you're not using me. And I just didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. And since I left and I, like you said, there are so many groups out there, there are Facebook groups, there are Instagram pages you can follow. Like I'm, I'm part of a lot of the advocacy stuff, as you mentioned, I'm in, um, on the board of Florida protective parents. I, um, 
I'm in a group of California domestic violence survivors, which is a funny story because I've never stepped foot in the state of California, but I have a ton of friends in California now who are all DV survivors. And um, God is really, and with this business being a coach now, um, God couldn't use me where I was. God needed me to go, like you said, full circle through all of this, to have this experience and to learn through it. And I'm still going through it. So I'm still learning the family court stuff, the shared custody stuff, the, you know, um, PTSD trauma, all of it. I'm still going through it, but I'm learning more every day. And when my ex does some new crazy to cause drama and chaos in our lives, I, I thank God which I know sounds really weird and I'm not necessarily saying everyone should do it, but I do. I say, thank you God for this trial because I know it's strengthening my faith because I have to rely on God because I can't fix any of this. Mm. So it's strengthening my faith. And it's also giving me another experience that I know is going to help somebody else later. I'm going to be able to later meet some woman and say, oh yeah, I had that exact same thing happen. And this is what I did. Or this is what I should have done. You know, this is what I realized later would have been a better <laughs> decision because I don't always make the right ones either. Because it's you're like you, you're in the middle of fight or flight mode when you're dealing with these people. But everything that has happened to me in the last two years since I've left him, and then in the 17 years I was with him, almost two decades now of abuse, um, God was preparing me so He could answer my prayer to be used. And as I'm saying that I, I sound like I'm, I'm being really trite and cliche and whatever, but I'm, I'm being very sincere. I do believe God wanted to use me, but he couldn't use me where I was and he can now. And there are days where it's very painful, the things that I'm going through, but it's so rewarding to know that I'm being used. And, um, you know, I shared that my son has nightmares about his dad and not necessarily about his dad, but he has nightmares after he's been with his dad. And I have nightmares about my ex-husband sometimes. And I got to a place where I, I don't know how to stop nightmares. If you have a magic cure for that, tell me, but I know that I don't want to wake up after a nightmare and then continue to think about this man who has tortured me for almost two decades. So I actually put um, a bulletin board on the wall opposite my bed in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I have the names of all the women that I've met so far who are fighting um, an abuser in family court. And it's a, it's a note card uh, or like a greeting card kind of thing. So on the front, I write their first name, the woman's first name. And on the inside of the card, I write their children's names. And so even if I, even if I have a nightmare about this man who somehow is still able to control me from 1200 miles away, when I wake up, the first thing I see is a bulletin board full of names of women who I'm fighting for in the spirit realm. And I pray for them. And I pray for the children that are written inside those cards. And it, it reminds me that all of the pain that I go through has a purpose and that there are others out there who are able to 
get through another day because of my support. And your podcast, I'm sure, is another outlet for people. Just hearing other people's stories, you know, is validating to know it wasn't just me. And, you know, I said earlier, I felt stupid for, you know, marrying this guy after some of the obvious red flags early on, but we're not stupid. We see the best in people or, you know, whatever. I don't know, maybe, maybe we were stupid at some point, but it is what it is at this point. And, and you're not alone. You're not the only person who has fallen for the same con who's allowed yourself to stay longer than you should have. And it's, it is validating. And so, yeah, I have, I have nightmares still, but, and I can't, I can't take him out of my head when I'm unconscious, but as soon as I'm awake, I stop thinking about him. And I start thinking about all of the women whose lives I get to impact and there's joy. Mm. Mm. That's incredible. I think you're definitely providing so much hope for those who are listening and, and confidence for others to be able to see someone who's walked, um, walked this, these shoes and who is, um, who's able to say something like this. It's, it's a huge testimony to God. It's a huge, um, it's a huge, brave, courageous thing that you're doing. Um, and I'm really grateful that you shared your story here and, I'm really looking forward to others being able to connect um, with you and hopefully like allowing for um, this to even just be a platform for others to be able to connect with you and be able to send people your way. And I'll definitely keep you in mind moving forward um, for all of those who are in my inbox um, who are messaging me and, and, and being able to connect them to you. So yeah, definitely a God thing for sure. Oh, I agree. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, so tune in next Thursday, um, for our next story. Um, if what was her name has impacted you in any way, shape or form, um, it always helps for you to rate the podcast, um, on Apple podcast and as well on Spotify. Um, every single time that you share this podcast, whether it be to your story or it just be even um, word of mouth. And um, there's so many people who I've connected with and even who have come on this podcast and shared their stories with because of somebody who just brought up what was her name and said, hey, maybe you should listen to this. Um, and so definitely think that that helps as well. Um, thank you again for all of those people who are listening because um, you guys are really the reason genuinely, genuinely that we are able to uh, just come on and share our stories. So tune in next week for the next story. Thanks guys.